Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Chelsea Parati, a sports psychologist and host of the Passion for Dance podcast. Welcome to the show. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Well, I'm super excited to talk to another podcaster. This is really great. You have a lot of information on your podcast, which we'll definitely get more into. But I reached out to you because I just love that you're a support psychologist that's focused on dance. I think that that's pretty unique. At least I hadn't run across the profile. So I was super excited when I reached out to you and you were open to chatting with us. But I'd love to just open with just how you went about pursuing a career in sports psychology and what made you focus on dancers in particular. Sure. It was not a straight line journey, which I think is always important to share as people, you know, if you look up to someone, you're like, I want a career like that, or that looks so amazing. How did you get there? It's like, there's a lot of twists and turns and forwards and backwards. And, you know, it doesn't always come easy as far as knowing exactly what I wanted and went for it. So I... I've always enjoyed the kind of academic side of my life. I've always been a good student. I enjoy school. And so I knew I wanted to go for higher levels of education and go for advanced degrees. Uh, and I found psychology in, in undergrad. It's just something that I enjoyed, but my school didn't have any classes in sports psychology. I didn't know that was a thing in undergrad. So I just gotcha. studied psychology more broadly, went on to more of like a, a a traditional kind of clinical path uh, and actually didn't like the clinical work as much and found myself all of a sudden like, okay, maybe this isn't what I want to do and pause. And I took a break in between different levels of school and trying to decide what was right. And in the meantime was dancing and coaching, right? So I have been a dancer my whole life. I think like most of us, you know, we've danced since we were little. <laughs> it's always been there. So I was a traditional kind of in that studio world for the most part and did okay you know, studio dance all through school and then found ballet a little bit later and actually really loved that. So I did some summer ballet intensives and then was a professional ballet dancer for a year and found that path that was like parallel to my academic parallel. life. Like they were very Got different. Things. Yeah. Very different things. <laughs> they go together now, but at the time I just felt like I have my dance life and I have my like school life and they're very different. And I found sports psychology, I guess I should say, because I started coaching. Uh, so I was coaching a high school team that kind of fell in my lap because of my sister on the team. And like, just all of a sudden they needed help. I was like, I don't know anything about school dance, but sure. Like, you know, I don't know. I didn't know anything about Palm. I was like, I have no idea what a high V is. I have no idea what any of that is at all. But I learned fast. But I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can coach the human and the dancer. I'll figure out the specifics of this style eventually. Uh, so I fell in love with coaching. I coached a high school team for 12 years and just loved that side, like the nurturing side of being a coach and bringing out the best in other people. So that was happening parallel to my 
academic life. And that's eventually when I found sports psychology as a discipline and realized that I'm like, oh, there's a psychology of coaching. Like, this is amazing. So decided to take that academic route. So my PhD is sports psychology. And it was of course, very natural to stay with dancers because they're my people. And I think we are such a unique type of athlete that I love staying in that industry and working with dancers. It's been a dream come true. I guess I should say a dream. I didn't know I had, you know, like I didn't know that's where it was going, but it worked out to be the right thing. Well, that's so awesome to have like your background in dance, marry what you're studying academically. And I think that's probably part of the beauty of life is when kind of both your passions kind of collide and you realize that you can kind of pursue both at the same time and help the community that you, that you're a part of and that you love. So I think that's great. Oh yeah. yeah, I feel very lucky that my two passions aligned. I didn't, mm-hmm. like I said, didn't know they could. And then it's made for such incredible work now that I get to really be in a world that I love to contributing in a way that feels right to me. Yeah, absolutely. Can you break down what sports psychology is and how it pertains to dancers as athletes? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start. So sports psychology is really about the mental side of sport and how to, you know, make sure you're using your mind in a way that just amplifies your physical abilities, right? It's making sure your mind isn't getting in your way. It's supporting you. It's allowing you, you know, all of the training and hard work for you to be able to show it, right? For you to be able to display your athletic abilities that you're working so hard on. And you know, there's a couple different, I would say like subfields to it. So there are some sports psychologists that are clinical psychologists. So they work on people who suffer with mental illness in a very clinical sense, like anxiety disorders, depression, eating disorders, things like that. So there's that side of sports psychology. Um, that is not my side. I am on kind of the mental performance side. So it's more about okay. taking your everyday athlete who may or may not be dealing with clinical issues, but that's not our focus. Like if you're just your everyday average athlete trying to be the best version of themselves. So using tools to help with, uh, you know, confidence and motivation and maybe like performance or competition anxiety or audition anxiety rather than like clinical anxiety, if that makes sense. So there's that, that difference. It's really, yeah. My work is really more of helping kind of your average everyday athlete, make sure that they are, training their mind in a way that's going to support their physical abilities. That makes a lot of sense. When I think of some professional athletes and when they talk about their success, a lot of them mention, I think what you're talking about and describing of sports psychology, where they're paired with someone that's basically helping them, you know, with visualization or just different tools to help them like Mm -hmm. perform at the highest level. So that totally makes Sense. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think culturally and just like society within sports, we're finally getting there where elite athletes are open to talking about the type of mental support they've received along the way. So we're finally starting to break barriers when you have people like, you know, um, Simone Biles and Laura Hernandez have both talked about using sports psychologists uh, in gymnastics. You know, there's the tennis players and even football players now, like basketball mm-hmm. players and like kind of those big stars sharing like, yeah, I talked to a professional, like my hope is that we start to break the stigma and just as an elite athlete would have a strength and conditioning coach and a nutritionist and, you know, college athletes will have academic support. Like you have all of these people, you know, trainers and PT and like all of these people supporting you and that your mental health professional is just another one of those people. Like you're just training all aspects of you. There's not something wrong with you if you need that. Right. No. And that's just so exciting to think about dancers in the pro cheer and 
dance space, having access to these tools and realizing that it is applicable to our world. We always proudly say that we are athletes as well. We're professional athletes kind of at the top of our industry and knowing that there are certain tools like sports psychology that can help them be even better is really awesome to share and exciting to share. And like you said, I'm really glad that we're in a space where people are talking about the tools and things that help them be successful. And there's nothing wrong with getting help to reach your full potential in that way. Just like you said, any other area that you're trying to train in your life. Absolutely. Because I think we're finally getting there with younger ones, but even for pro athletes to be like, okay, you are at the top of your game. You, you know, quote made it, but that doesn't mean you don't still need support or want to grow and want to be better. And so to say that, you know, we can use this at all levels is, is really cool that we're finally having these conversations and breaking down some of that stigma. We got a long way to go, but it's getting better. Getting better. Absolutely. And I love that there's just this space that's unique to dancers, or maybe it's not so unique. I guess that's my next question with yeah. some of the challenges, whether it's mental or emotional, or just things that we have to do to perform at this level as dancers. What are those challenges? And are they really any different than what professional athletes and other sports face? Sure. So I think mostly we are just like every other athlete in a lot of ways, right? Like just as much as we know we are athletes and we kind of fight for that qualification. It's like, yes, we are athletes. So in a lot of ways, the mental side is very similar across all sports that you have, you know, the, the negative self-talk and the confidence and the anxieties and those things that are very similar, no matter what your sport is, but dance is unique in some ways, or similar to, I guess, other sports that have subjective aspect to it in the competitive world that have like a judge, right? So you think of uh, ice skating or even gymnastics or things where like there's a judge's opinion that is ranking Mm -hmm. you and scoring you. So those sports I think are unique because there's mental challenges around, like you can't control that person's opinion. And even in the pro world, like, you know, when you're auditioning, someone else is making this choice And it's not necessarily black and white. You ran faster or I can see my time and I can see how I compared to that person. And I know where I landed. And for Mm -hmm. us, that subjective element to our sport adds a level of issue uh, mentally, that challenge of kind of wrapping our head around what's in our control and what's not that can be really difficult. And I also, and maybe a little biased as a dancer, but there is some even research to support it, that dancers are more passionate than some of your average athletes, because we, most of us have been doing it long. Yeah. Most of us have been doing it longer, you know, where we find the sport very young young. and it's a part of very young and it's a part of our identity. It's who we are. And so by the time you hit the, you know, elite levels in high school, college, and pro, you have people where being a dancer is a huge part of their identity. And that's true in other sports, but collectively dancers tend to have more time in that singular sport than other athletes do. Oh, man, I just want to pause on that. That is so interesting to think about. I mean, I wasn't one of the dancers that probably danced since they were two, three years old. But when you think about where most people got their start in dance studios, it is from a very, very, very young age in comparison to, you know, maybe people who are play football or basketball when you're actually literally doing the sport and kind of picking up those skills. It's probably, I would say, it's I don't later. know, six, seven. It's later. But yeah, those it's years later. Are, and yeah. yeah, and it's part of... The singularity of it too, like if, if people are dancers, if we love our sport and we love what we do, we don't tend to do a lot of other sports where you think of like other middle school, high school athletes, they might be dual sport athletes, or they might play softball and it's tennis and alternating seasons or something where dancers, it's like, this is our thing. And that's all we do. And 
physically cross training would be so beneficial. I wish we would do more of that, but mentally it's part of your identity that much stronger when that's the one thing you really love and do. That's super interesting. Well, that makes me think too, like you said, just the passion and almost how it kind of just melds into who you are and why Mm -hmm. I think pro dancers especially have a hard time uncoupling when it's necessary, when they step away from doing what they love and then they are a little bit lost in terms of that identity. So that totally makes sense when you think of it in that framework. It's just interesting. And I hadn't made that comparison to other sports. Yeah. And I think it's part of our identity identity is, you know, we, a lot of us say like, I am a dancer, right? I'm not, it's not Mm -hmm. that, oh, I'm someone who does, it's like, no, it's who I am. And, you know, you said at that pro level, whenever it's time to decide to step away, or if you have been auditioning for a long time and you don't get it and you decide, maybe this is not for me, like walking away from it and separating that piece of who you are is super challenging for a lot of athletes, whatever your career ends, whether it ends Mm -hmm. in high school or college or pro, but I think you said it's a big part of who we are. And so being able to separate, like you are still the same person, even if you are no longer dancing, you're still you, you just, that piece of you has shifted and it's different. And a lot of us keep dancing our life in some other way. <laughs> like it doesn't ever right. really go away. You have people like you and I who start podcasts, cause we got to talk about it and yeah, keep exactly. dancing our lives, you know, exactly. um, or whether you're, you're teaching or, you know, judging or whatever you might be doing. That transition though is really hard because of the strong identity part. Mm-hmm. And when I think too of some of those like mental and emotional challenges of dancers, it's probably has a lot to do with, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but just how to process or take in the feedback, the constructive or not so politely put constructive feedback that you yes. get um, because of all these subjective standards that we have of performance. And so um, is that something that also falls into the umbrella of sports psychology in terms of understanding or having tools to kind of help translate into something that's healthy for you that you can actually work from as opposed to utterly destroy you and, and break you down mentally or emotionally? Yes, that totally, yes, that totally falls into that wheelhouse. And it's a dance is hard in that way because we we are constantly given messages about what's wrong or what we need to fix. You know, if you imagine your average Mm -hmm. class, when you get all sorts of feedback and it could be little things from, you know, body placement issues and to, you know, if you're struggling to pick up choreography, you know, but you're constantly getting told like, fix this, fix this, fix this. Um, And you do it in a mirror staring at yourself, which adds, I think another level for a lot of us because our sport has that aesthetic piece to it it becomes really difficult to separate again, that identity of like the version of me that is learning this new skill and working on it that may not look very good doing it. I can't do it yet. Right. I'm getting there. I just, Mm -hmm. it's okay Mm -hmm. that this looks awkward today or that, you know, I'm not picking up the choreography quite yet, or I'm struggling with this skill. I don't have it yet. Yeah. That mental space is, is a challenge. And I think we get, like I said, so much negative feedback. So it's another thing I hope starts to continue to shift with the industry, but Mm-hmm. And most of us, I think, have had a teacher at some point in our dance career that gave us a lot of harmful messages, right? That was maybe even coming from a place of love and care. I just want to challenge you, but it comes out as you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You'll never be able to handle this. And those messages are so defeating and it makes it so challenging for dancers to pick themselves back up. And to what you were saying about the tools, a lot of it comes to our self-talk. Like, so the things we say to ourselves in our mind and we 
learn our self-talk from our messages all through childhood on up. So we learn what to say to ourselves based on what our parents say, our teachers in school say, our dance mm-hmm. teachers say, like we build up these messages and there's just some personality differences of people who tend to be more positive or tend to be more anxious or, you know, there's some of that's just who you are. But by the time you're, you know, a pro, you've had a lot of years of these messages. And if a lot of them have been negative, then we start to integrate them into our identity. So if you're constantly told like, oh, you're not flexible enough. You can't, like your kicks aren't high enough. Like keep fighting. You're not good enough. And then you decide I'm not flexible. I am not a flexible dancer. And it becomes, this is who I am rather than this is a thing that I'm not as good at but I have the ability to fix that and to change and to grow. And maybe flexibility is not as natural. And maybe I I wish my kicks were as high as the one next to me and they're not, but I can do something about it. And that's the self-talk shift of rather than I am a bad dancer or I am not a flexible dancer. It's maybe my flexibility is not good enough yet, but it can be. And I know if I put in the work, it will be and kind of embracing that. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. No, but even just that shift of just what you said and how you're looking at it will influence like where you go from there. Because I think at least what I'm saying, I'm nowhere close to the professional on this at all. But, you know, when you see people struggle with hearing those types of messages about or feedback on their dancing or their style or whatever it might be, or their body, even they're internalizing. If you don't, like you said, kind of shift your way of looking at it to this is one particular issue that you isolate from yourself and just say, this is something that's achievable if I work at it and just kind of putting it in that context Mm -hmm. rather than attaching it to who you are as a person, because that's harder to overcome, I would think, than like, okay, my kicks are just really low. doesn't mean I'm a bad dancer. doesn't mean that I can't achieve this goal. I'm just going to lock in on what I know I need to work on, at least set goals or do something to kind of work at that particular thing. I've been listening to your podcast, so now I'm like feeling like I'm right. a expert on probably yes. what you would say. Um, <laughs> well, it's so true, but I think that's where the messages are so hard too, because some of the messages we repeatedly get, especially the body one, body image issues are about things that maybe are not in our control. If we're getting comments about your physical appearance that you can't change. And so, you know, not even just weight stuff, but like the shape of your body or the style of your hair or the stuff that like, I can't, I can't change that. So if you are going to be upset, that part of your identity, like that actually is who you are. So there is no separating. And it really is like, the self-talk and the hurt around that can be so much harder because you can't have that separation. It's okay. You're telling me something's not good enough about who I am that I can't change. And hopefully I don't want to change. Like this is who I am and how I look. And I'm trying to, you know, embrace that as a woman or a man or whoever, that's so hard to just, especially in our like teens and twenties, right. (laughs) I'm trying to Mm -hmm. embrace that and be happy with it. So the self-talk is still important. It's still the same idea of thinking about your own messages to yourself, but sometimes then you have to purposely insert a different message from what this adult in your life is telling you or what this other person, it could be a peer for that matter, that is telling you and saying, no, you know, yes, I may have this aspect of me physically, but that's who I am. And I'm happy with that. And I'm proud of that. And it doesn't hurt my dancing or maybe this team is not the right culture for me, or maybe I just need to take my dancing elsewhere because I'm not going to ever fit this mold. So that kind of self-talk and protection is different from 
the feedback that we can control things about, you know, people wanting you to dance stronger, you know, to gain strength or gain flexibility or gain power, you know, your facial expressions, like those things that you can learn and train and grow um, are very different. So I think that's hard for dancers to try to separate those two of like, where do you say, I can do this. I can train this. I'm not just not there yet. And where do you say, this is who I am. And I am proud of that. And I embrace that. And if I don't fit here, then I don't fit here rather than trying to change who you are at your core to fit some director's opinion. Right. That is so important. Gosh. And I feel like once that light bulb goes off for people, it's almost freeing because you're not trying to force something that's not really truly maybe meant for you and you're loving yourself through the process of really trying to figure out, okay, these are the things that I'd like to improve that I want to, that I'm committing to work on. And then Mm -hmm. also having that line where you say, you know what, this is who I am. I like who I am. Mm -hmm. I like my bigger than the average thighs or whatever it might be that that sometimes, unfortunately, you know, you get that kind of feedback that seems to be just narrowing in on something that you, like you said, can't control or that you may very well like about yourself and that you kind of take back your power to say, you know what, this is, this is not something that I'm willing to kind of accept as the truth of who I am. I think as dancers, you feel like, you know, there's this level of humility and that you're just willing to take and soak in all feedback whatsoever, whatever they say is, you know, I don't want to say gospel, but you know what I mean? Like you just kind of (laughs) take in all feedback and uh, you're grateful for the feedback. You're just in this yes, yes, yes state of mind around it. But once you get to processing it, hopefully people will reach that point of what you're describing of being able to parse out the things that really are valid things to work on or just things that are germane to who you are that you don't have to necessarily Mm -hmm. try to change. And I think that's, especially in the pro cheer and dance world, I feel like it's something that a journey that some people, depending on the team and the fit that they might have to kind of, Mm -hmm. to work through for sure. Yeah. I do think it's part of dance culture to, as you said, just say, yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Like to, I know Mm -hmm. I got that in the ballet world for sure. It's like, you do not open your mouth to ask a question. You don't like, you just take your feedback and you are grateful for it and you work hard. And I think no matter what style of dance, that's very much the culture of you are just appreciative for what you're given and say, thank you and work hard. And there's an element of that, right? Like the coach in me, like, I wish my athletes would all just say, yes, coach, thank you. (laughs) You know, and have that. (laughs) So I get that. And it's a, you know, there's there's some respect there. That's great. Uh, But especially as you said, when we get into the pro world where you are maybe trying to go for something that has been a dream of yours for a long time. And saying, you start to be willing to do, like, I'll do whatever it takes. I, this is I, it's all I've ever wanted. And, you know, I'll do whatever this director wants me to do. And there's that side of like, okay, that passion and that intensity and perseverance is great. If you're working on things that you can control and grow in your dance skills, you know, if it's just something physically that you can do something about as dance style, right? Like if they just wish that you would, you know, hit harder, if they just wish that you would be a little more grounded in your hip hop, like they're talking about something that feels like, okay, I can do that as a dancer. I can adapt my style to your style. That's great. Mm -hmm. But when they start giving you messages about who you are, that you can't change or that you don't want to change and being able to separate your dream and goal from, what might not be healthy for you. And that's asking a lot of your average 20 something to say, maybe this Gosh. isn't right for me or yes, yeah. it's, it's so hard when it's been a dream. I think anybody at the pro level, you've been thinking about it and hoping for it for a while. It's not something you woke time. up one day and said, I'm going to try. It's like, no, this has been something you've wanted for a long time. So 
being able to separate that and protect yourself can be super challenging, but really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I have so many episodes in my head. I'm sorry. So it's okay. I really want people to obviously go check out your Passion for Dance podcast because it is so thought provoking. You know, it's finally like hearing a lot of these concepts and having it apply directly to dance. So like it just triggers a lot and lots of other thoughts. So um, pardon me if I'm like all over the place, but um <laughs> You, on your podcast, you talk about so many, well, first, let's just say with what made you launch the Passion for Dance podcast, because there's so many helpful tools and resources and discussions that you have. So I'd love to hear what uh, inspired you to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, So it started as a blog in 2017 that came out of the end of my coaching career and birth of my second child. So it all at the same time, I was like, okay, you know, new mommy or not, I mean, my second child, but still new baby at home. And I wasn't coaching anymore. And I was, I needed a break, but kind of, as we were saying earlier, I wasn't going to walk away from dance. Like it's still in my life and what I want to do. So I had a friend tell me, she's like, just write a blog, just talk about it. So the blog was kind of my own, my own therapy. It was a way to keep dance in my life and Mm -hmm. it grew on its own and then just has kind of grown a following of people asking questions and chiming in and, you know, appreciating it. And so then I said, okay, I can do more with this. I can give back more. I can reach more people. And so the podcast just started from my own love of podcasts. And I am a big fan of multitasking and podcasts are one of my favorite things to listen to while I am doing laundry or dishes or walking the dog or whatever it is. I love consuming them. I was like, well, I'm sure maybe other people would like consuming them too. And that would help. Mm -hmm. Um, So the podcast launched February of 21, almost up on its first year. And it's such a fun way for me to continue to share and reach more people. But yeah, I've gotten um, a lot of great feedback, which I really appreciate that it is, like you said, thought provoking. And that's the teacher in me. That's what I love. I want to just provide you with the information and then you take it and decide what that means to you and being able to reflect yeah. on your own dance journey or your own teaching journey and uh, kind of take it for yourself. I think that's the best part of education is I present the information and then you decide what that means to you personally. Absolutely. And so it sounds like you're, the podcast is somewhat geared towards dance teachers or studio owners, but also lots of information that's applicable to dancers themselves. And, and so can you talk about some of the tools and like resources that you share without giving too much away? But I mean, I was yeah. blown away. I'm oh, just going to mention some topics that just really stood out to me um, just so people get like a little taste and then I'd love for you to expand on it. But just sure. topics like, you know, how to build resilience as a dancer, Uh, dealing with disappointment, having like a motivational and growth mindset, which I'll ask you about later, Um, calming your nerves, just mental toughness and dealing with burnout, how to boost confidence. So like huge topics that are obviously so applicable in this space. And I think like, I just don't know as professional cheerleaders and dancers, and I'll just speak for myself, but how much attention we really give to this part of our performance once we make the team, right? Like it's like you made it. And then you kind of just, I don't want to say coast by, but you just, you you not get through it, but I don't really think you take the time because you're so busy. You're just kind of skating off of whatever the work that you put in to get to that point. But it's really hard to think about how you can improve on all these things once you make it. So I think it's just awesome to 
present this information to people who are either trying to make a team or are on a team, like these are tools and resources that you can actually use now while you're in this moment so that you can probably just enjoy it so much more and possibly even accelerate your performance being on a team. So yeah, talk to me about like, you know, just the tools and resources that you share and what people can get from listening to the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I guess my main audience when I'm talking are to dance educators. So to the coaches okay. and the teachers and the people who are teaching the dancers. But I have had a lot of those people tell me that they just play the podcast for their dancers and that they still <laughs> love it and find great. I'm like, okay, that works. And so I think that's actually going to be something I integrate as a little bit more of like, okay, dancer, I'm talking to you uh, kind of mm-hmm. angle to some of it, but To your point, I think if you are actively dancing, they're still super helpful to listen to uh, in that way. So I think you're right that we do at that pro level, there is that sense of like, I achieved this big goal. And then we don't necessarily set the next goal of, okay, so what do you want that to be for this year? How do you want to grow for this year on your team? And do you have leadership goals on your team? Do you have, you know, goals outside of and past your performance career and being able to say, okay, I made this great dream, stop and celebrate that goal and be really happy and proud of it. And then think forward. And that's part of growth mindset, as you were saying too, is like, you have this infinite ability to keep learning and growing. So even once you've achieved something, what's that next step? So Mm. I do try to share a lot of action tips. It's something about academia that always drove me crazy where there's a lot of like, here's all the research. And then you're like, but what do I do with it? (laughs) What's the the next step? (laughs) So I try to take a lot of like, here's the research. That's really cool and really interesting. And this is what you should actually do when you go to practice tomorrow (laughs) and, you know, trying to make it more like how you would really address things. So stuff like that, you were talking about the self-talk, as I said, with you know, how you receive that feedback or, you know, practical tips to dealing with disappointment, which could be, you know, not making the team or not making captain or getting, you know, some terrible, some rough feedback or a pandemic means you can't dance for a while, like whatever it is that's come at you and kind of actively dealing with the disappointment rather than just letting it take over. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And same with resilience, like, all of this mental toughness things, I think of it just like any other muscle dancers are used to. I have to keep training for my body to stay in top shape and your mind is the same way. And we have to like, keep working mm-hmm. through, you know, the efforts for resilience and keep working through growth mindset and keep working for our confidence. Like we don't achieve confidence someday. And then now we just have it. Like it's yeah. constantly something <laughs> constantly. to go through and yeah. work on and the next, I would say like new level, new devil, like you make this new thing and now you're like, okay, I made it. And then now you're surrounded by a whole bunch of other people who also made it and who are also really talented. And you have this new sense of maybe you, all of a sudden you lose confidence. It's like, well, now I'm the rookie on this team with all these other great dancers. And can I live up to this? Or, you know, do I belong? And all this stuff that comes with it that maybe you were able to overcome in college or in other aspects of your life, but now it's back. You've reached a new level of, you know, this new level of achievement. So I think it's the, the constantly working on all these different aspects of our mental side of our sport. It doesn't go away that even when you've achieved these great dreams, you keep, keep digging in and keep working on it and let it be there to support you. And so you can have a stronger, longer career. I'll say even for myself, I just think reaching that goal that I had set for myself of becoming an NFL cheerleader, 
um, there were definitely things that I was trying to build upon dance skill wise mm-hmm. every year or just being able to, you know, just stay at the top of your game to be able to make the team multiple years in a row. But, um, sure. but yeah, I just think it's just an area that you just don't really think about being able to continue to grow and strengthen as and how you manage the experience because you make it, but there's still ups and downs and challenges when you're on a team um, that if you have some of these tools and resources in mind that you can actually use to just get through it a little bit better or overcome some of those challenges a little, I won't say easier, but you just have something to work with rather than just, you know, your friends who are on the team with you, you're leaning on each other for support, but there's just more out there that could possibly help people, which is just great. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, do you have uh, any advice, I guess, that you would give to professional cheerleaders or dancers who may find themselves to be a little stuck in terms of how they are dealing with their low self-esteem? Because I think if you went through auditions, didn't make the team, or maybe it's just like that haunting feedback like we were talking about that has maybe transformed into negative self-talk and you actually believe it and you actually kind of like your spirit's broken it's just hit me that it really is a reality that people don't necessarily just move through that unscathed. Like it's something that they probably are still holding on to. Do you have any advice that you would share with them in terms of how to move past Mm -hmm. that point of kind of like the lowest of the low in the self-esteem department, just based on how this industry can tend to be? It can knock you down for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I think that's, it's such a common thing that we don't, talk about. Like we, if we are the one who doesn't make the team or we don't achieve that dream and then you just kind of hole up in your room and like, I want to deal with it by myself and and try and don't often talk and share about how hard it really is. Mm -hmm. So I think honestly, it goes back a little bit to the identity stuff we were talking about at the beginning. So if Mm -hmm. you are really struggling with that disappointment, it's likely that the goal or the dream of being on that pro team, or maybe you were on the team and then they weren't asked to return, like letting go of that, you know, that stuff is really tied to who you are. And so we have this all of a sudden sense of like, now I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I don't know who I am if I'm not on the field with my teammates, or I don't know what else to do. And especially if it wasn't our decision, right? If we, if it wasn't your choice to leave the sport, like somebody else made that choice for you or an injury made that choice for you, that is the identity part is what's really challenging. Mm -hmm. So to be practical about it and to say like, what do you actually do with it? I think they're doing some of the reflection work on identity and values and what really matters and what's really important to you. And like, who are you without saying, you know, being a dancer is a piece of it, right? But who are you really? So there's, you know, kind of those core value questions of what truly matters to you in your life and that you can still find those things outside of dance or in dance in another way. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to think of something to be super practical of what uh, one of your listeners can try. So if you are trying to find your core values in life or trying to find your like personal philosophy of what matters to you and what helps you make decisions and choices, uh, one thing you can do is think about uh, who are the people in your life that you really admire and look up to and like write down the first like three to five people that come to mind is like, these are the people that I either, you know, admire professionally or in the dance industry or somebody that I want to be like or they're just friends or right. Who are they? And then sit back and okay, why, what is it about that person that I truly admire and 
would like to, you know, emulate. And then it starts to pull out the values and the themes of like, oh, okay, this person that comes to mind, I love how much they put their time and dedication into their friendships and relationships and, you know, really care about others. And so then now the reflection is like, okay, so valuing relationships and caring for others probably means a lot to me. Like that means that's a mm-hmm. value to me. It, Cause it can be hard just to just be like, what's important in your life. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To yeah. put those, put that together. Um, it's hard to put the words to it. So that's one exercise that can help you start to think about it. But then the idea is if you have a better understanding of those values that are truly important, you start to see your identity outside of just being a dancer. Like, okay, so what are your other options? And that if this door has closed, there are other things that are still there for you that align with your values that will provide you that happiness and that sense of joy that might look different than you thought. And some of it's that dealing with disappointment of just acknowledging, like, like I said, especially if it was not your choice to leave the career and just say like, this sucks and I'm mad about it, or I'm hurt or I'm upset and like have the disappointment. Like you don't, don't stuff down the emotion, deal with the emotion, listen, think about it. But then knowing that like that one door closing isn't the end of dance if you don't want it to be. We have this vision of like, there's only either certain teams that I would dance for, or I only want to be a pro cheerleader in football, or I only want to do basketball teams, or you, you had like a very narrow sense of what being a professional meant because it's what you've seen or what you've wanted, but there could be a lot of other options or there could be another way to keep dance in your life. So now that I've gotten long-winded about it, I think, no, it's it's okay. about, <laughs> but thinking about your identity outside of a dancer, who are you outside of that? And thinking about the ways that that identity is still present, either in a present. different type of dance, it's still there. It's just maybe a different expression of dance or different type of dance, different style, different area, or different avenue for you, right? That you're still you, you're still able to achieve great things, even if that one door has closed. Yeah. And I think when you, like you said, when you're reminding yourself of what your core values are and who you are as a person, you'll just realize that you're still whole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like all the things that make you who you are, are still valid and standing regardless of whether you've met that goal or not. And I think Mm -hmm. even if you're thinking of other things that you're good at or other activities that actually bring you joy that you probably just stuff down or don't listen to because you don't have any time, right? If you're practicing training, (laughs) Um, I can see how that would help kind of rebuild your sense of self-esteem when you think about who you are and all the other things that you add to life just by being Mm -hmm. who you are and just reflecting on that people just stuff away that pain or disappointment mm-hmm. and don't really face it head on. And I, I think they go through it. Obviously they're, they're hurt. They're just sad. They're upset, but it kind of gets stuffed somewhere. It's not really like processed through. And then they just are back in dance classes, back into training mode for mm-hmm. the next audition. So it's not really something that has essentially been resolved. It's just some weight that's still carried around with them. And you're, you're thinking that being in dance classes and preparing and training again for that same experience is somehow setting you up differently. And I just feel like those thoughts or that those unresolved, you know, self-talk or emotions kind of creep up at the wrong time when you're trying to put yourself forward for that audition again. Do you you think, is that just my crazy theory? No, that is not a crazy theory at all. That's part, that's dead on. I think if you don't process the anger, the disappointment, like sometimes it's anger and sometimes it's 
uh, depression or like, I'm not good enough. So whichever way you take it, but it's a negative emotion that you're sitting with. Um, if you stuff it down and don't process it, it's going to come back when you're stressed, which is going to be when you audition again, like it's going to come back at the wrong time. So I think if you, you know, you're like, okay, I didn't make the team, but I'm not giving up. I'm coming back next year. Okay, great. That's your new goal. But it's really still important to reflect on why it didn't happen this first time. Because if whatever got in your way this time, like, are you going to train the wrong things? I guess, like, was it a, was it a physical training issue that you need to do? Was it an appearance thing? Was it a style thing that you need to work on that director's preferred style? Was it, um, you know, confidence in interviews? Like what was it that didn't go well that time and spending the time and energy on the things you can control that are really going to support and help you. But at the same time, reflect on what did go well, because I think if we fall short of our goals, then we say, okay, I didn't make it. So I need to overhaul everything and be, you know, show up as somebody completely different and better when like maybe 70% of it was great. And there was something small that you needed to do, but keep doing the other stuff. So it's not about wiping the slate clean and starting over, but also reflect on the good stuff. Cause there was good stuff there too. And like, what, what talent did you bring? Maybe they love your bubbly personality. And you think that now I have to like, nothing went well. And so I'm going to come back to the interview and be super serious and, and stoic and come across as it's like, no, but they liked that part of you. They wanted you to work on your flexibility or your facials on the field. Thinking yeah. about what went well is also a good just self-esteem booster of like, you did a lot of things well when your preparation for this, maybe your nutrition was on point. Maybe your energy in the room was great and you were super positive. Like you had things that went well, don't lose those, be proud of those and then make goals for what's next that you can control to support that next time. Because then if you don't, yeah. if you don't get it, if you don't make it, but you did everything you could, then you can walk away from a falling short of a goal and say, okay, yes, I'm disappointed, but I know I did everything in my power to possibly make this happen. So I can be proud of that. I can be proud of who I am and what I did recognize that this wasn't the right thing for me and move on to the next goal rather than taking that personal defeat of I'm, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I love that because we don't get a lot of feedback in the audition process, like probably at all at this at level, all, you right. just don't. Um, but I just love what you're saying because you do have to have some introspection because you you might not have all these answers as to like what you should have been working on or what they liked and what versus what they didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's just good to at least reflect and think about if you don't have that feedback that specifically says you were way too bubbly, you need to pipe down and be more professional or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but just I'm just putting myself in someone's shoes that without that feedback that you're really going to be thinking of what do you like about yourself and what do you think you present well, or I don't know Mm -hmm. if maybe you could speak to that, but I was just thinking like, these are all such great points. And how do you figure that out when you don't get the feedback from the auditions process? Sometimes if you reach out and ask, you may be surprised with what you get back because we don't naturally get that feedback in most audition scenarios. You're just cut and you're out and that's the end of it. But and I obviously can't speak for every, you know, director of every team out there, but a lot of them, if you reach out, not like two hours later, but like process and let it be for a minute and then come back and say how much you appreciate their time and the process. And is there anything concrete 
like, you know, what was the low point or what is something I can focus on for next time? A lot of them will give you that actual feedback and it may not be what you thought it was. But I think if you approach that question with enough space since you were released and coming from a place of gratitude and introspection, and I would like to learn, like we're all coaches, like that's what we want. We want people who are going to grow. So I guess on one side, like put yourself out there and ask in a professional way. You may be surprised by what you get back. If you have absolutely no feedback from the person making the choices, you can still get feedback from other people. Like who else auditioned? Do you know anybody else in that process? Do you have, you know, any videos of yourself that you can share with other professionals or other people that can give you outside feedback that may not be in that team or that program, but they can still give you feedback. And I do think sometimes we don't trust ourselves enough, but there's so much power in introspection. Like, you know, where did you feel the least confident? Where did you leave the audition process and be like, that day didn't feel as good. Okay. Why? Yeah. What was it that didn't go well or what didn't feel right? And yeah, just taking as much control where you can. And then ultimately, sometimes you may not know why. And if, you know, you're trying for the same uh, team you know, more than once and not seeing anything change, you may just not be what they are looking for, but there's another program that is a good fit for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, like you said, it's just a matter of being willing to put yourself out there in a professional manner too, because when I think of like virtual auditions now, they have to have some notes or some way of accounting for their auditions process that maybe is a lot harder in person when it's like physical write-ups that the judges are putting together now that it's virtual there probably is some spreadsheet or something where maybe it's easier for them to pull that feedback to share Mm -hmm. with you because yeah their whole auditions process has changed and so maybe looking you up and getting that information might be easier Mm -hmm. to share out this time around well and even sometimes even if it like if you get released in an early round where there's not necessarily notes it's just like it was a yes no and you were a no and i don't have anything to tell you it's like well then you just didn't stand out okay, why? So they didn't write anything down and you didn't go on to the next round because you didn't stand out. So there must've been something there that you can work with, you know, something mm-hmm. there that you can say, okay, I didn't stand out. Now I can get feedback from other people in my industry of what you think would be helpful to make sure you are standing out in those earlier rounds the next time. Now that's awesome. It all goes back to just, you know, your mindset and how you approach looking at the situation and being able to separate yourself from it and knowing what you can and can't control because that's probably the biggest thing and at the pro level there's only so many spots on these teams it's extremely competitive and you have to kind of get to a space where you're more comfortable just kind of accepting that there's just going to be a lot that's out of our control and feeling good about yourself and like you said trusting yourself and being having these conversations with yourself that self-talk to really evaluate you know what you can change and what you can work on and what you're just going to let go and not internalize. I think it's just part of the journey. Part of the journey as a dancer. I mean, I think you're, like I said, your podcast has so many different tools, like concrete, like one, two, three, this is what you can do to work on X. And so I just really, really Mm -hmm. encourage people to give it a listen and see if there are some things that you can 
apply, whether you're on a team or whether you're preparing for auditions. I mean, the year has flown by and before we know it, it'll be audition season again. And I just think people taking some time to do an inventory of where they sit with themselves, how they feel about themselves. Like you said, what did I do well? What do I think I really need to work on? Because you're so right. We know. Like you walk away from an audition and you have that cringe feeling when you think about maybe an aspect of it that didn't go as you wanted it to. So you have a sense and just kind of taking the time to reflect. And then also um, there's tools out there and there's information Mm -hmm. that you probably could benefit from. So I just really encourage people to take a listen I'm so excited oh, to have you. you. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I feel like if there is a, like a take-home thing, it's like my, mm-hmm. probably my number one phrase that I tell people is the control, the controllables. And there's only so much you can control. And if if it's not a controllable, you have to let it go. And mm-hmm. learning that difference is is really challenging, but it's a big part of your mental toughness journey and taking that with you of learning what you can and can't control. And, you know, I would love to hear from your audience too. If you have questions out there that I can help specifically with the mental side of being pro, like tell me, ask, I don't know, send me a DM on Instagram, send questions in. I don't, I would love to try to help other things specifically in that area. Cause you're right. It's doesn't matter what level we're at. This is a big part of our journey. Absolutely. Well, how can people find you? Everything will be linked in the show notes, but how can people reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So my podcast is passion for dance. Wherever you get your podcast, it's there. My website that also links all the podcast episodes is chelseaparati.com. So my last name's P-I-E-R-O-T-T-I. And I'm on Instagram a lot. I think that's probably the easier way to just look up and send me a message and I'm happy to chat with people. I love the community aspect of what we get to do. So my Instagram is uh, Parati. So uh, yeah, come see me and hang out and ask questions. And I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, everything will be linked below. And I just really appreciate your time and talking to us all and sharing just a whole new avenue that I think people will be excited to explore and figuring out how to just be even more so your best version of yourself. So thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a fun conversation. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.